Good morning. As the kids make their way to the back, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm chapter 17. You know, when I became a pastor, there were a lot of things that nobody told me about. And um, one of those things um, was that from that point forward, at every family event, um, I would be the one to pray. And, and, you know, it never fails. I go to some, some kind of event or something, and they know, if they know that I'm a pastor, it's like, oh, Dale's here. He can bless the food, or he can pray over, you know, whatever it is. And that often baffles me, because I, I'm thinking, you know, especially in my family, it was, like, it was like a light switch before I was there, and nobody ever asked me to pray. And then I became a pastor, and it's like, everybody asked me to pray. So it's like, what's so different about me now, right? But, but I think in a lot of our minds, we, we have this idea that there are some people that are closer to God, and some people that should pray, and some people who shouldn't pray. And, and again, I don't, I don't think you know, it's intentional, it just kind of happens um, in our lives. And, and this morning, we're, we're going to look at a model prayer that David gives us. We're going to get kind of the inside into David's mind as he's praying a prayer to God. And we don't know exactly, historically, when he prayed this prayer. Um, most people tend to agree he must have been praying this prayer when he was on the run from Saul, and him and his men were, were hiding out and doing uh, different things to evade Saul, as Saul would send out you know, 3,000 men to find and kill David, and uh, they would go on the run, and they would, they would hide in caves, they would hide all over the place, um, awaiting the time in which he would be anointed king. Um, David was, was very kind and gracious to Saul, even though Saul was not kind and gracious to him. And uh, David was really a good example of treating others the way you would want to be treated, um, even though Saul was trying to kill him the whole time. Um, and so it's, it's in that kind of context, it's in that kind of setting that David is praying this prayer to God. And that's important because, honestly, this psalm bothers a lot of people because of what David says in the beginning of this prayer. Um, and I think if you lift this prayer out of its situation, out of its point in time, uh, you, you might understand why people would struggle with this, and we're, we're going to take a look at that as we go through that section. Um, but I, I want you, before we read it, to just, just think, just imagine, imagine David praying this prayer in a cave, hiding from Saul, being on the outside, right? Typical scene, you see it in like 2 Samuel, right? Saul's got 3,000 men out to find David, and David and his men are down in the depths of this cave, and, and this is the prayer that he's praying in that moment. I think that will help us to understand the context as we read it together as a church. So we're going to put it up on the screen behind me and on the TVs, and if you would, read along with me. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. 
With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. They have a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, comfort him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Amen. Sorry about messing up there a few times. That was on me this time. Um, so again, the context of this, David's on the run at some point in his life before becoming king. Um, being tracked down by Saul. And David prays this prayer. And again, in, in verses, the first couple of verses there, that first section, um, David is helping us to kind of understand what a prayer should look like. And, and I'm going to break this up into three sections in this passage and asking three questions about prayer. One, is my request a just request? It's one of the first things that we have to think about when we pray. Is what I'm praying a just request? And then in verses 6 through 12, we're going to see this question. Does God love his people? Does God love his people? And then finally, in the last section, in verses 13 through 15, the question shifts to, do you love God? So I want you to think about those as we go through this, that whenever we pray, we should be thinking about our prayers and the things that we're asking of the Lord. One, are they just? Two, does God love his people? Do I believe that? And three, do I love God? I think we're going to see each one of these in this psalm this morning. David is coming to God with a just cause. One of the reasons why so many people think this is set in the time in which he is waiting to become king is that it would have been just for David to ask God to deliver him so that he could become the king that God had anointed him to be. David wasn't trying to be king on his own. David didn't you know, put out a bunch of you know, pamphlets and was like, hey, we're going we're gonna to do an uh, uh, overthrow the government kind of thing and I want to be the guy in charge. No, God chose David. God anointed David. Saul is still the king, right, in this time frame. So his cause would have been a just cause. What, what he's asking for, deliver me so that I can do what it is that you've called me to do. But David does something 
even more bold than what he says there in verse 1 of hear a just cause. In verses 2, he says, From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the, world, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violence. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. David is making a pretty bold statement there. And it's something that I don't think most of us do when we pray. And that's ask God to test us. Is what I'm asking for a just cause? I'm not just going to assume it's a just cause, but, but I'm asking you to test me. I'm asking you to try me. I'm asking you to search my heart and find out if what I'm asking is really a just cause. That's, that's bold of David, right? I mean, so many people I, I see and they pray and, and, and they're like, oh God, you know, uh, would, would you just like... Would you just bless me with this promotion? Because then, then I can give more to the church and I can, I can do more things. When in reality, they just want more money. If God were to search their heart, it wasn't, they, they really didn't want the promotion to benefit God. They just wanted it to benefit themselves. Maybe they like power or influence, whatever. That's really what's in their heart. And David is saying, God, search me. See, that's not a part of what I'm asking for here. And so I think a part of asking that first question, is my request a just request? It goes beyond just what I'm asking for, right? It starts with that because you have to ask, God, in you giving me this, is it going to do injustice to others? Is it going to hurt others for you to give me what I am asking for? But not only that, you got to go a little deeper and go, what's my motivation for asking for this? Is it something that is just? Is it something that will glorify God? Or is it just me wanting something for me? Again, I said a lot of scholars have a problem with this passage because David is making himself out to be this completely innocent person, right? But Scripture tells us otherwise, right? We have the whole life of David recorded. We know David wasn't perfect. Again, I think that's why it's so important for you to understand this prayer is being lifted out of a certain situation. And in that certain situation, David could rightly say, I am innocent here. I am, I am totally in the right for asking for this. I think about the time in Samuel where Saul gets 3,000 men to go kill David again. Somebody gets him riled up and he's like, I got to go kill David and, and, and David is hiding in a cave with all of his mighty men, and, and Saul has to go to the bathroom, right? So he's like, okay, well, there's a cave. I'll slip over there in the cave. Nobody can see me, and I can relieve myself, right? And I can take care of business. And so he, he goes and he does that. And, and David's men are like, David! God is literally handing him to you. He's got his pants down. You can take him, right? It, God has, he served him up on a platter. 
And David said, I, I can't harm God's anointed king. Even though he knew he was the next anointed king, he still treated Saul the way he would have wanted to be treated. So he slips up behind Saul and he cuts off the corner of his robe. And whenever Saul is going out of the cave, David follows him and says, Saul, and he bows down to him. Saul, your servant David does not seek to do you harm. I don't know what these people are whispering in your ear. I don't know what kind of mistruths they're filling your head with, but I'm not here to harm you. Because look, if I wanted to kill you, I could have done it. And he lifts up that corner of the robe to prove to him just how close he was with his sword that he could have run him through. And nobody would have known. But David had integrity. Again, I think in light of the context of where this was placed in David's life, he could say these things. Because he never killed Saul. The Philistines ended up killing Saul. He had chances to kill Saul. But he didn't take them. And so I, I think in the context of what David is saying, try, look at my heart. I, I have done everything you have wanted me to do. We see other commands or, or other verses like this, like Psalm 139, 23 and 24, where it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So is my request just? A, is what I'm asking for a just cause? And B, is my heart just in asking for it? Those are, those are two things we need to weigh out when we go to God and we pray and ask Him to do something for us. In the second section, in verses 6 through 12, the question there that David poses is, is, does God love his people? Right? He's appealing to God on the basis of God's love for his people. Starting in verse 6, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you include that in your prayers? What do you think would be different about your prayer life if you included that one verse in the prayers that you pray? Verse 6, I call upon you, for you will answer me. How many of you pray with that kind of confidence? Oh God, if you, if you don't mind, like if it'd be really cool if you did this. and you know, right, But we don't have that boldness. We don't have that confidence that we see David having here. I call upon you, for you will answer me. Just imagine what adding that line to our prayers, that confidence we were showing. But see, most of us don't do it because we're ruled by our feelings rather than the truth. We're ruled by our feelings. I don't, I don't feel like God's going to answer me. I don't feel like God's, I don't even know if he's going to hear me. I don't feel, feel, feel. We're ruled by our feelings rather than being ruled by the truth. David is ruled by the truth even in this time, I'm sure he wasn't feeling it. But he knew the truth about God and his covenant love for his people. And that when his people cried out, he answered. And so he says, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. 
Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. And then this verse is just one of the most beautiful verses for us to remember about God's love for his people. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. Now David is hearkening back to some language from Moses. When he talks about um, the right hand, it's a reference back to Exodus 15:6, where it says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemies. And then he uses these expressions, apple of your eye, which literally means the pupil of your eye, and hide me in the shadow of your wings. And this is a reference back to Deuteronomy 32, 10 through 12. He found him in a desert land and in the hallowing waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. Jesus would later use the same language in Matthew 23, 37, and speaking of Jerusalem, of wanting to be like a mother hen that, that was protecting its children. Right? So you, you, you have this picture of, of a bird who is spreading out its wings, right? So, so that the, the hawk or whatever that is flying over, the, the enemy that is flying over, it sees one large bird instead of all these little birds, right? And, and the hawk's thinking, well, I can't lift that one big bird, but I, man, I can pick out some of these little birds. But instead, they all rush and hide under that wing. They take refuge under the wings, of course, this would have been a, a visual picture as well when you have a Jewish man who's wearing his prayer robe and, and he extends out his robe to pray. And it would look as though he had wings. So this would have been something that would have been a very powerful visual picture in the Jewish mind of, of a God who is protecting his people. Why? Because he has covenanted with his people. Not, not because his people are great, but because he has coveted to love his people. And so David, again, not going off of feelings, but going off of the truth, going off of what God has said, he can make these amazing statements of love that God has for his people. The next time you're struggling and you're feeling worthless, Christian, remember you are like the apple of his eye. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants to protect you and shelter you. It's so easy to forget in this life because we get so distracted from his love, his covenant love that he has made with us. Sometimes we get so busy focusing on our own sinfulness that we forget his own faithfulness. 
And that as we confess and repent and turn back to him, he is faithful. He is like the prodigal father looking, waiting, longing to welcome us back. And instead, we just continue to wallow around in the mud thinking, he, he could never love me. I'm horrible. No, Christian, he looks at you like the apple of his eye. He, he wants to, to hide you under his wings and be a refuge for you. David is using Moses' words to appeal to God's enduring love for his people. And David thought, if he kept those promises, surely he would answer my prayer. And this is important for us, because again, I'm going to tell you, you are not always going to feel it when you pray. But do like David, quote God's word back to him. Ask him to keep his word. He's faithful. He is faithful at keeping his word. Learn from David and the way David is praying Moses' words in this prayer. This passage, this section of Scripture, though, also reminds us that there are predators in this world. That, that we, there are enemies that are seeking to consume us. And this would be something that would be very easy. David had very real enemies, right? It would have been very easy for someone who is being persecuted right now, maybe in Syria or some other part of the world. They have real enemies. They're, they're, they're sitting huddled together this morning waiting for somebody to bust through the doors because they have real enemies that want to take them outside, kill them, and throw them in a hole. And, and for us, it's hard because we, we are not there yet. And so we, we don't fully comprehend this idea of these enemies that David is talking about here. But, but we should be reminded, church, that, that we do have enemies. And, and what the enemy likes to do is he likes to pick off the ones who are away from the crowd. And it's a good reminder for us this morning that we need to be with the flock. We need to be with the shepherd. And listen, it ain't me, it's Jesus, okay? And we need to stay close together because in strength there is numbers. How many times have you had a friend who just wandered off from God? They just stopped going to church. They just stopped. It wasn't necessarily that they were mad. They just kind of fell out of the routine. They fell out of the habit. And the next thing you know, they're ravished by the enemy. Why? Because it's a lot easier to pick off the one that's out here away from the, the larger group. Again, like the illustration of the bird covering over his wing. The little ones. We, we need to remember the importance of gathering together and worshiping together. Lest we fall prey to those same predators that David is talking about and they consume us. David trusted God when everything was falling apart. I mean, it's one thing for us to trust God when everything is good. That's easy. But, but David trusted God even when things were bad. Again, there were multiple times that Saul would send out 3,000 people to kill one man. 
David knew what it was like to have enemies. David knew God had anointed him. But man, this isn't turning out the way I thought it was going to turn out. I, I thought I was going to a palace. I thought I was going to become a king. And I'm on the run, hiding in caves, watching people go to the bathroom. What in the world is going on? But, but he trusted God even in those times. Even in those moments, he trusted God. And we, likewise, need to learn from David and trust him as we are praying, even when it looks like everything is falling apart in our world. The third section, the third question that we see from David's prayer here is, do you love God? In, in this section, David appeals to God based on his love for God. So the question is, when you're praying, do you love God? Is that something that would be evident to God in the way in which you live your life and the way you act? He does this by contrasting himself against his enemies, specifically that his enemies love the world, but David loves the Lord. Verses 13 through 14 shows how his enemies are worldly. And I will tell you, for those who like to study and you, you like to really you know, work at very hard things, verses 13 and 14 are very hard things. The best I can tell you is this was some kind of Hebrew expression that does not translate very well into English. But David is trying to make the overall point that these men's focus is on the world. That, that they love the created world and that is where they're staking their hope is, is in the inheritance of their children and their family names living on and, and it's all about earthly legacy. And David, by contrast, says, I love the Creator. My, my heart is more for the creator than the created. And, and so he's distinguishing himself from his enemies because they are worldly. So what, what does it mean to be worldly? Well, I think very simply you can say you measure everything by the here and now. So you look at your circumstances, you look at your situations in life, and you're measuring it by an earthly standard. How much is in my bank account? That's an earthly standard that is not going to matter when you die. You're going to be laying in that coffin, and like you're not going to be checking your balance. That's an earthly measure, Right? Sometimes, and, and again, the illustration here, because family really meant wealth in this time, when you had multiple sons and they had families and they had flocks, and like, so, so sometimes it's family. We're, we're measuring our worth and our value based on what does our family look like. And for those of you who have raised kids, whew, I can get a little sketchy once they leave the house. If that's what you're holding on to and that's where your hope is, it can get a little rough. But they're measuring everything by some worldly standard. Do you find yourself doing that? 
Maybe it's by collecting a certain amount of things or having a bigger house or having more property or better vehicles. Again, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. Don't, don't mishear me. But when your focus is that, when you're measuring your life by that, that's when you slip into the place of becoming worldly. You're no longer measuring your life by the relationship you have and the inheritance you have, like we talked about last week, with God. And, and, and here's the danger in doing that, is that you become depressed and discouraged often. And you say, not me, Dale, I got everything I want. Until next week. And then something new is going to come out. That, that vehicle you're driving, they're going to come out with a new one. It's going to have even more features, more horsepower, more electricity, whatever it is you like, right? And you're going to be like, man, man, I wish I, wish I had that. And you get discouraged when you don't. Or, or maybe, maybe you are, because of your circumstances, you don't even have the opportunity to have the things you want. And so if your focus is worldly, you're, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be discouraged. Forgetting that you have the greatest inheritance of all time, if you are a believer. You have God himself. right? And that's what David is saying here. David is, is, is foreshadowing the day that he gets to meet Jesus. In verse 15. As for me... I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Hey, David, David I, there's a point in the future where I'm going into the ground. I'm going to sleep. But I'm going to awake to Jesus' face. And we talked about this a little bit last week in that passage where we're in the psalm where it talks about Jesus going down but not being left there to perish, to rot, but the Lord raising him up. That was that day for David in verse 15. When Jesus died on that cross and he went to get all of the saints that had gone before and they saw his face, they saw his Likeness, and they were satisfied with him. And listen, that, that's something that as believers, we should all be looking forward to that day. For us, this side of the cross, it'll be the moment we die. The moment we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the Bible says. Don't ask me all the details of how that works, I don't know, but I know that. Because that's what the Word says. And as believers, we are going to be there satisfied looking into the face of Jesus, our Savior. This morning, as we pray and we ask God for things, are you asking because you love God? Or are you asking because you love this world? And you just want more stuff in this world? Or are you asking because you love God? 
Is my cause just? Is my prayer just that I'm asking for? Does God love his people? Do I believe that God loves his people? And do I love God? Is, is what I'm asking for because I love God? Those three questions will help you as you're formulating and writing out the things that you're praying about. Wrestle with those three questions. And they will help you to pray in a powerful way, a way like David that, that can call out and say in verse 6, I call upon you for you will answer me because my cause is just. Because you love your people and because I love you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us how to pray. And Father, thank you for the, the example that we see in Jesus' life of living out this prayer perfectly. He was surrounded on all sides by predators seeking to do him harm, and yet he went to the cross as a lamb to the slaughter because he knew that you loved him. And he loved you. And that his cause was a just cause. And so even though he died, you heard his prayer and raised him from the dead to provide salvation for us this morning. Father, I pray if there is anyone here that does not know you, that hasn't put their faith in your son and what he has done for them, maybe they're clinging on to being good or some other standard other than just the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, this morning that they would put their faith and trust in you and the finished work of Christ. And God, for those of us who are believers, God, I pray that you would search our hearts the way David talks about here. You would, you would try our hearts. It's so often at night when we're all alone and there's nobody around to impress that our, our real thoughts begin to surface. Our real motives begin to surface like David. Test us and try us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to confess and repent of the things that we need to confess and repent of. When we are being selfish or when we are being worldly in our prayer life, God. Convict us. Try us. Refine us. So that our prayers will be heard and answered. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.